0: you're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Every single person in this room has been given talents, abilities, giftings, passions, desires meant to influence the culture around them and build the kingdom of God. Now the question I get all the time, honestly, is what do I do with it, right? Like, Pastor Josh, how can I use these gifts to plan my future and achieve my goals? It becomes like a 10-year planning session where, you know, you get everything in place and, you know, this is what my life looks like based on this personality test. Um, and <laughs> which are useful, and these aren't bad questions at all, but I think they miss the point, right? Because I mean, I've asked them myself, but honestly, they follow after a worldly culture that is constantly trying to find their identity in what they do, yeah. instead of a kingdom culture that already knows who they are. If we're not careful, we can make it about building our own kingdom instead of the kingdom of heaven. So, I'm gonna answer that question by not answering that question, and saying this. The key word is investment, right? We are blessed to invest. Come on, say that to your neighbor. We are blessed to invest. I promise you this is not a message about money. For almost all of you. (laughs) For some of you it actually is, because what God has blessed you with is finances right? And there's nothing wrong with that either. We had this, like, we get weird about money and church, but the reality is the kingdom needs people not only with the resources to finance the work of God, but also fiscally responsible minds to manage the resources of God. So you're just as useful. Don't let people shame you. It's awesome. But for other people in this room who aren't balling, um, you have talents and abilities that are crucial to the work of God in this church and in this city. Right? You can sing. You can write. You teach. You play instruments. You build. I can't tell you how many times Matt Montgomery has worked on our building. (laughs) Like, right? You're hospitable. You open your homes. You love children. Not just your kids, but like other people's kids. (laughs) That's difficult. Like, bless you. All right? Bless you, Kingdom Kids Workers. We love you. Thank you. (laughs) But there's less obvious stuff. There's less obvious stuff too, like have you ever considered your family and your marriage as a blessing from God? Not only just to bless you, right, but to build the kingdom of God with it, right? There are people out there who have never seen family done right, right? Right? who have always been surrounded by dysfunctional relationships and who need functional role models maybe for the first time ever. You can break generations of sin and dysfunction just by investing well in your family and being an example, right? Let's go deeper, even, even less obvious. Some of you have passions and desires that you haven't told anybody right? It's God-sized stuff that you have no idea what to do with, but it's there, and it's always burning, and you're like, what do I do with this? It's just like the elephant in the room, and this morning, I want you to reconsider the usual interpretation of Psalm 37.4. You probably know it. It might sound familiar. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? We've all heard that. Amen. Absolutely, but we kind of make that verse about making God a genie, right? Like, if I chase after God, I'm just going to get everything I want in life. And everything's going to be great. And, and I want you to take that, crumple it up, and throw it away. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying God does not bless you and give you the desires of your heart, right? I'm just saying that's not as helpful as you think it is. And, and it's really self-focused. It's, it's, it's not going to help you build the kingdom. What if the psalmist is trying to say that when you pursue God, he begins to change and author your desires. Right? That he replaces lesser worldly passions with world changing ones. Right? That when we make God our delight, he gives us the things for our heart to desire because he made us to accomplish them in the first place. Right? The only, or that only, when we are submitted to God, we find our true purpose. Right? Yeah. James 1 7. I have notification. I should turn those off. James 1 7 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Why should those things be any different, right? Why should your passions and desires be any different? Look, I think human trafficking is a tragedy, okay? My heart breaks for those enslaved by it, but I am no Cynthia Magallanes. If you know Cynthia, you know that she is someone who weeps for this issue, so so emboldened and impassioned by the issue that she created a nonprofit to help end it, yeah. right? Your desires are leading you to something. Your passions when you pursue God are leading you to something. And when we invest in the giftings, talents, abilities, passions, and desires God gives us, we see God multiply our investment and build the kingdom. I'm gonna say that again because it's, it's gonna be on the screen. When we invest in the giftings, talents, abilities, passions, and desires God gives us, we see God multiply our investment and build the kingdom. We're blessed to invest, all right? And that's the whole point of an investment, right? Financial people, right? To get a return, right? To see growth, to multiply. And as believers, it's our responsibility to invest, but God is the one who brings the multiplication, if you're investing everything you have into the kingdom and the end goal seems way bigger than you, good. You're a candidate for multiplication this morning. If your portion doesn't seem to match your promise, good. You're a candidate for multiplication. Because your job is to do what you can do so that God can do what only he can do. So the real question I have is, are we a candidate for multiplication? Am I a candidate for multiplication? for multiplication, that's what we should ask ourselves when looking at our giftings. Am I living an invested life or am I missing the multiplication God wants to bring to me and to the kingdom through me? Am I missing God as my multiplier? Wow. The title of my message this morning is Don't Miss the Multiplier. Let's pray really quick, because I need Jesus. <laughs> God, you're so good, you're so faithful. So God, I just ask you this morning, let let dreams come alive again. Let dry bones rise. Make fear bow to the name of Jesus. We invite you in this place, God. Do what only you can do. Speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are talking about investing our gifts into the kingdom of God so that God can multiply them. And our key text this morning... It's the parable of the talents. It's found in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. If you've got a digital Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. If you've got a physical Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. If you'd like a Bible, we've got them in the back. If you don't wanna get up, it's gonna be on the sky Bible. Christian Chambliss said that a couple weeks ago, About fell out my chair, thought it was hilarious. So it'll be on the sky Bible. Um, and, but we just really want to establish a culture of of digging into God's word, putting it in our hands for ourselves, and, um, really just honoring that His word speaks. All right, wait just a second, and we'll, and we'll dive into this. This is the only text I'm going to ask you to look up today, so you can just save your place there. All right, Matthew 25, verse 14 says, for it will be like a man, it being the kingdom of heaven, going on a journey, who will... who who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he who made five talents, and, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So to recap... That's a lot. (laughs) The master, who we can only associate with God the Father, gave each of his servants, us, mankind, talents. Now, back then, talents was a a word for like money. It was like a denomination. But I don't think the irony is lost on us, right? Because I think now, here in 2019, we can see that talents isn't just finances. It's our giftings. It's our abilities. It's our desires. It's what we were talking about earlier. And he gave each of those things according to their own ability. Two of the servants invest what they were given, see it get multiplied, and are rewarded with even more to steward over. But the one wicked servant who received the least buried the talent in the ground and did nothing with it. The master, upon questioning him, is furious, breaks their partnership, and sends him away. I'll say this. I don't believe the master is upset because he got less talents back than he was expecting right? We live in such a performance-based, results-oriented society that I think that would be easy for us to misunderstand what Jesus is trying to say, right? Remember, our job is to do what we can do so that God can do what only he can do. He's a multiplier. The end result is his thing. Our thing is being obedient and trusting that he is who he says he is. So the main issue that the master has with this servant is that or or, sorry, the main issue that the master has is why the servant didn't invest. And you've got, just look at this exchange. The servant said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And you've got to love the master's response with all the snark and indignation. You knew me? I'm a hard man? I reap where I haven't sown? Give your talent back. Get out of here. It's my paraphrase, but you get it, right? The wicked servant's fatal error was not knowing who his master was. And I can imagine this point hitting the disciples who were listening right in the face because not that long ago, Jesus told a different parable about a sower, right? And sowing seed and that you reap what you sow. Even Peter was like, I get that, Jesus right? I understand what you're talking about. It was the thing you said before, and now you're saying it again, but differently, (laughs) right? It was very apparent to them that this servant did not know who his master was, and see, we have to know who God is in our guts, because if we don't, we will never invest in what God has given us and into the kingdom like we were meant to. For that reason, I believe Jesus is using this parable to point out two critical aspects of God's character that we cannot miss if we want to establish a kingdom culture in our lives and in our church. Not only that, but Jesus is also showing us the three biggest things that keep us from seeing who God is and being fully invested. So you guys ready? You awake this morning? Can we turn the lights up just a little bit? It's a little dark. Um, Yeah. All right. So the first critical aspect of who God is is that God is a partner. Okay. He is all about partnership and relationship. You were created to love and be loved by God. He loves relationship and he is a partnership and covenant-oriented God. And we see this because since the beginning of time, God has partnered with his people to accomplish his will on the earth. Right? God created the earth, but he gave Adam dominion over it. God freed the people of Israel from Egypt, but he used Moses to lead them. Right? God gave us salvation and a gospel, but he's using us to spread it. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Mary, Peter, Paul, from Old to New Testament, it's filled with examples of partnership and covenant where God did incredible things with ordinary people. Right? God doesn't need any of us to build his kingdom, but he chooses to do it with us because he delights in us. We are his delight. Psalm 149.4 says this, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. And I love how the Passion Translation puts the same verse. For he enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty And he loves to give them the victory. He loves to give us the victory. Like I said, our job is to do what we can do so that God can do what only he can do. I'm going to say that again for the back. (laughs) He does, we do what we can do so he does what only he can do. He gives us the victory. That brings us to our second aspect of God's character that Jesus is pointing out. He's not only a partner, but who he is as a partner is God is a multiplier, all right? And I've been saying that all morning and I want to expound on that because I just find this character, because we find this character trait not only in the parable, but also all over scripture as well. God made Abraham and his barren wife, Sarah, the parents to a nation of descendants as countless as the stars, but it started with like zero, right? Jesus fed 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fishes from a little boy who was willing to give up his lunch, right? Jesus also tells us that all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed there is, and he will multiply that to move mountains for us. In fact, the first human partnership God brought together was Adam and Eve, and his very first command to them was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is in his DNA. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's a multiplier at his core. And when I said earlier that if your portion doesn't match your promise, you're in a good place. You're, You're a candidate for multiplication. Here's why. Because... This is what God does, right? This is what he loves to do. He loves to partner with us and take our talents and our giftings and our abilities and our passions and desires and do a mighty work with him beyond what our eyes could have seen or what our heart could have imagined like Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The reality is that people God used in the Bible are nothing special. And I hate to break it to you this morning, Neither are we. Right? In the grand scheme of eternity and the work God has for us, we just don't bring that much to the table. On. Except one thing every person who God has ever partnered with, multiplied, and used to build his kingdom has one thing in common it's their yes. They said yes, they were obedient. See, obedience is what sets you apart and makes you a candidate for multiplication. Obedience is what you bring to the table church. Your willingness to be fully invested despite the circumstances is the stuff that miracles are made of. Right? It's the foundation on which God builds his kingdom. I had a pastor who used to say, even your weak yes is still a yes. God can use it. Right? If you feel like I'm barely I'm barely I'm saying yes but I'm struggling Please be encouraged this morning. Your weak yes is still a yes, and God honors that, and he's gonna multiply that. He's gonna make your weak yes a strong yes. Come on, that's, that's way better than you think. Come on. It's way better. That's for somebody this morning. Moving on. There are three things that cause us to miss the multiplier and keep us from our yes, Let's steal our yes. And the first is... Th- thing that steals our yes is that our yes perishes to poverty. I don't think it's a coincidence that the servant who failed to invest was the one who seemingly had the least to invest. Not because he only had one talent, but because he only saw one talent. That's good. I believe what sets the other servants apart is that when they received their two and five talents respectively, they didn't just see two and five talents. They knew who their master was as a multiplier, recognized the potential and what he had given them, so they saw four instead of two, 10 instead of five, and they invested everything they had because it was a sure bet. It was a sure bet. When we think of poverty, we typically think of being poor, right? That's inaccurate. Poverty is not a lack of wealth or resources. Poverty is a lack of hope. I went on a mission trip almost 10 years ago. That makes me feel old. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, but it makes me feel old. (laughs) 10 years ago, I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica, and it was one of the most life changing experiences I've ever had. Um, We got to work with really, like, what the world would call impoverished people, right? They had dirt floors, tin ceilings, the wiring and their houses for electricity was like on the tin roofs. you could hear it sizzling. Like, is this safe? Like, should we be in here? And this one lady we were working with, a tree had fallen in her home that was already like smaller than the nursing mother's room. <laughs> like, smaller than the prayer room. Like, this house was tiny, and they were watching a TV that was about that big. Um, and uh, man, you could say, wow, these, these people are poor. But the more I talked to this family with the translator... Um, the more I realized that these people are the richest people I've ever met because for them, their hope wasn't in what they had, it was in who they had. They had Jesus and they were so excited and they were so passionate and life was full of potential and opportunity and we in America would go, is it? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Yes. So that's why I say poverty is not an economic term, it's a mindset. Another way to describe a poverty mindset is a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset, this will be on the screen, a fixed mindset is defined as when people believe their basic qualities, like their intelligence or talent, are simply fixed traits. They spend their time documenting their intelligence or talent instead of developing them, or in our case, investing them, they also believe that talent alone creates success without effort, no. right? Like, you, like this is what you're given and that's it. And if you don't measure up, you just don't. <laughs> to put it simply, someone with a poverty or fixed mindset will measure their ability to receive the promises of God based on their portion size and not on the one making the promise. Success becomes an equation instead of depending on God. Like what God is calling me to is up here and my ability and my talent and my gifting is here, it's never gonna happen. Like, it's done. If poverty, see, see, man, they say things like, it is what it is, right? Or, things have always been this way, they're always gonna be this way, there's nothing I can do to change that, right? If poverty is an absence of hope, then a poverty mindset causes us to miss the multiplier because God himself is hope, right? He is the author of hope. A poverty mindset takes God out of the equation, and we start to worship our lack instead of him. Have you ever been around someone with, like, a poverty mindset, right? It's depressing. They suck all of the hope out of the room, like all of it, right? They focus on just how much they don't have, and if they only had this, then their life would be complete, then they would be able to succeed, then they'd be able to do what God asked them to do. They don't see the value of what they do have. I think it's really interesting that Jesus tells us in verse 18 that the wicked servant buried his master's money in the ground. I don't know about you, but uh, my first instinct when I get something valuable is not to go outside (laughs) and bury it in the ground, right? Why? Because it's valuable, I would bet 10 bucks nobody has an iPad buried in the backyard right now. (laughs) Like, definitely not. Because that's never where a valuable item should be kept. And it's apparent that the wicked servant could not see the value of what he had because he didn't invest it. He didn't even store it properly in a bank so it could gain interest. He just buried it. He buried it. And that's a perfect image of a poverty mindset because what a poverty mindset will cause you to do is bury every good thing God gives you in a sea of hopelessness and waste it. Check this out. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? We know that verse. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Then without hope, there is no faith. And without faith, mountains aren't gonna move. Your circumstance isn't gonna change. So the solution to a poverty mindset this morning is embrace hope. Embrace hope. I know that sounds cliche. And for someone in a poverty mindset, and I've been stuck in one myself, probably feeling a little cynical right now. Like, really? Embrace hope? What hope? Right? <laughs> like, there is no hope. <laughs> There's no hope here. <laughs> but one, go back and listen to Pastor Kai preach on cynicism a couple weeks ago, because that was dope, and that'll probably help you there. Um, But you have to embrace hope. You have to start believing that God is who he says he is. Give him some faith to multiply, right? If you're at zero, give him a little bit. Test him in that, and God will meet you there, I promise. And I'll give you a practical example. Maybe you're here this morning with a marriage that's in complete disarray, right? There hasn't been hope there for a long time. Stop seeing your marriage as something that is and always will be broken. Right? Start embracing hope and begin to see the potential that God has for you. Start investing in one another again. Ask God to help you see the value of your marriage again. Ask Him to give you hope because He is the author of hope. Or maybe God is calling you to do something that is so far beyond you that you're just stuck in that portion versus promise equation, saying, This is never going to happen. It's never going to work, right? Maybe you're saying, if only I had that person's gifting, I could do that. Or, if only I had money like them, then I could do what God is calling me to do. Can I say this? Um, comparison is the enemy's playground. Yeah. He, it will cause you to lose hope before you even get out of the gate, yeah. right? Maybe God has given you the exact portion size you have for a reason, right maybe what god wants to do in your life has to be accomplished with less resources and can't be accomplished with more right maybe you need less than you think right and i think of gideon right that dude didn't want to go in the first place to go fight the enemies i don't remember who they are it's some long name <laughs> bad pastor <laughs> go fight them and god keeps cutting down the numbers of the people until they have like 300 They had thousands till they had 300. But God was like, I I can't accomplish it with that many. I need less. That's the stuff faith is made of, right? Maybe you need less than you think. So I want to give some practical steps this morning to each of these three points. And the first practical step I have for uh, fighting poverty and embracing hope is begin to dream again. I know, cynics, I know, dream again, but seriously, I'm going to give you homework right now, so write this down if you're serious about it. If you don't want to do this, write it down and do it. <laughs> for real, it's, it's, it's actually for you. <laughs> Go home on a sheet of paper, take inventory of the things God has blessed you with, your giftings, your talents, your passions, your desires. And then take some time and ask God what he wants you to do with those things to build his kingdom. Just be with him for a minute and just ask him. Maybe just sit in silence. And when you do that, I promise he'll answer number one. And then I want you to write down the craziest thing that he speaks to you. Write down the craziest, most off-the-wall, completely unattainable thing that he speaks to you. And here's the optional part of the homework. If you feel comfortable and you feel like God says yes, share it at your growth group, right? Tell somebody about it. I challenge you to stop living life with limitations of what you are able to do and start having God-sized dreams again, right? Because I know this, there are books in this room. There are life-changing ideas in this room. There are legacy-establishing businesses in this room. There are generation-changing families in this room right now. It might be you, it might be the person next to you, but there is potential in this room. My question is, are you brave enough to embrace hope and dream again so that God can bring those things to pass? Let's move on. All right, the second way we miss the multiplier and lose our yes is that we lose it to laziness. And I'll be the first to say this. If this point is for anybody, it's for me, okay? If you get offended, I was offended writing this, so we can be offended together, (laughs) all right? Sometimes God lets you cheat stuff you know, and sometimes God makes you cheat stuff you're learning, and this is the latter, so enjoy. Um, (laughs) Laziness. There's a lot of ways I could go with this, but what I really feel like God was asking me to bear down on is the theologically sponsored laziness that seems to permeate our Christian culture. And I say Christian culture because sometimes it's different from actual kingdom culture. Sometimes we can have a a culture that's established by the people around us that doesn't actually match what God's Word says, right? And so, what I mean by theologically sponsored laziness is that our Christian culture tends to say that because God is sovereign, He's going to accomplish His will in and through my life no matter what I do. Right? I can do whatever I want, and God is still going to pour destiny and impact into my life, and everything's great. Right? No. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I believe God is sovereign. I'm not a heretic. <laughs> okay? I just don't think his sovereignty works like we want it to sometimes. I think sometimes we use God's sovereignty as an excuse to absolve us of any personal responsibility for our own lives. Right? Have you ever had this conversation with somebody? Someone tells you about what God is doing in their lives, and it's like, you know, I have this idea, or this business, or I want to be a missionary, or it doesn't really matter what it is. They feel like God is calling them to do something, and they're really excited about it, and you're like, that's awesome. So what are you doing to pursue that? And they're like, I'm just waiting on God. You know, just praying it out. Waiting on the financing. Oh, are you doing anything to uh, fundraise? No. Just waiting on provision. God will provide. God will provide. And and, and there's nothing wrong with waiting on the Lord, right? I've been through that season. But if you have that same conversation with that person two years later, and they're still waiting on God, spoiler alert, they're probably not going to do it. Right? They're expecting God to do it for them. Matthew 25, 15 said that the master gave them talents, each according to their own ability. This is the part that we can do that we were talking about earlier right? And when we refuse to do it, Jesus calls us wicked and slothful, and those are really strong words. And as I was, as I was been preparing for this message, that weighed down on me, because I feel like there's things in my own life that God is calling me to, calling me higher to do, that I'm just, I just haven't, I just haven't been doing it. Like, I've just been like, it'll, it'll happen one day. And, and, and these are the words Jesus uses, wicked and slothful, and I'm like, oh, God, I repent. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't want to be that way. Are you with me? <laughs> See, the question is not, can God accomplish the multiplication of what he's giving me without my investment? Like, of course he can. He's God, right? The question is never, can God? The answer is yes, right? The real question is, will God? Will God go outside of his character and enable you to do nothing when he's empowered you to accomplish great things? The answer is a resounding no. No, he's not gonna go outside of his character. See, God will not do for you what he's empowered you to do for yourself. Let me say that again. God will not do for you what he's empowered you to do for yourself. His job is the impossible, right? Our job is the possible, right? And I understand sometimes the possible seems impossible, and he meets us there. He's there for the brokenhearted. I get that. But overall, he's empowered you. If it's possible, you can do it. If he did everything for us, we would never grow, right? We'd never grow. We would never advance seasons. Life would just happen to us, right? Instead of us living it. And if that's the way God operated, he'd be a bad partner and a terrible father, right? He wouldn't wouldn't cultivate growth in us. That's on a macro level, okay? Let's talk about what that looks like on a micro level in our everyday lives. I said this at the prayer lunch, and nobody stoned me, Um, so I think it's safe to say here, Um, again, if you get offended, I got offended first, so we can write me an an angry email after church together, (laughs) yeah, I think one of the most fruitless prayers we can pray is, God, help me pray more, (laughs) or God, help me read the Bible more, right? Right? Not because what we mean is, God, multiply my existing efforts into a passionate prayer life, because that's a perfectly valid prayer. You should pray that. But because our existing efforts are currently non-existent, right? What we mean when we pray that is, God, create a prayer life for me out of thin air, right? God, make Netflix less appealing so I can get off my couch and read the Word and pray, right? See, what we should be doing is trusting that he will honor our obedience and multiply our passion because of it. In other words, if you want a passionate devotional life with God, he's not going to give you a 25th hour of the day. You have to sacrifice one of your 24. You have to give him something to multiply, right? And I promise you he'll meet you there, and I'm right there with you. That's my biggest struggle, That is my biggest struggle, is finding intentional one-on-one time with God. I'm great in a corporate setting. I love to worship, and I love to pray with people. But when it's me, alone in my room, I don't know what it is. And I'm working through it, and I'll keep you updated. But... (laughs) But I'm really, and I'm believing that this year, th- this coming year is going to be an incredible year of breakthrough for that for me. If, y- if y'all could pray for me for that. That'd be great. I would, just, I would just love to have a passionate and intimate relationship with God on a one-on-one level with consistency. Pastors aren't perfect. <laughs> we have to be intentional. Note the master was like begging this dude to do something intentional. Like even as he was sending him out the door, he was like, you didn't even have to invest it. You could have just stored it in a bank and let it gain interest, but you lacked even that level of intentionality. You gotta go, bro. (laughs) Like, Like you couldn't even be like the least intentional possible. You just had no intentionality. None. So our solution to laziness is this. You can't just embrace hope. You should, but you that's not all you have to do. You can't just embrace your potential. You have to chase potential, right? You have to pursue the giftings God has given you. You don't even have to like, see major results to be successful, right, it's not about the end game, let God take care of that. You, you just have to be intentional and gain interest at the minimum, <laughs> right? What does that look like, what does that mean? As a musician and a worship leader, I can kind of speak to that arena. It means hone your craft, whatever it is, not just worship or or music or if it's writing, if it's technology, whatever it is, hone your craft. Take lessons, I don't think you can get technology lessons, but take lessons, right? Watch YouTube videos. If you wanna be a great worship leader, learn from other great worship leaders and study what they do. Shoot, just follow Jeremy Riddle on Twitter. Like, do that. Just do that. Even that would be a level of intentionality, right? Take a step towards chasing potential. Or maybe you feel called to write a book, right? Reach out to people. Learn what that takes and and how to do it. My goodness, Lori Consor works for a publishing company. Take her to lunch one day. If you feel called to write a book, I challenge you, take Lori to lunch one day. And not just because I want to get Lori free lunch. She's awesome. She deserves it, though. So... Whatever it is, God will multiply your intentionality. Just like the other two servants were able to see the multiplication of their talents before it happened, they also treated five talents like ten and two talents like four. Jesus promises us that if we're faithful over a little, that he will give us much. And the key to that is seeing what is little as a lot and living accordingly. We we can't just see our little as a lot. We have to actually live in such a way that cultivates it. I'm not preaching on the parable of the sower, but I think it's really interesting how these two kind of relate. And here's the thing about the parable of the sower. You can have the best seed and the best soil, but if you're not intentional, nothing is going to grow, right? See, what did he do with that talent? It had great value. He buried it in the ground, Nothing grew out of it, right? You have to create the environment and cultivate your potential. So what's the practical step? Find accountability. That should be our first step. If if we want to be intentional, we should find accountability. Find someone who knows your gifts, can recognize your calling, and hold you accountable to being intentional and chasing your potential, One of the hardest conversations that I ever had was a friend who told me they recognized my potential, but they were afraid that I was going to waste it because I wasn't pursuing it. And I thank God every day for that conversation because it was a wake-up call, and I'm still learning how to answer that. I'm, I'm still learning what intentional means for me. And that's okay if you're still figuring that out for you, but find someone who can hold you accountable to it and tell you you're wasting it when you are. All right, third and final way that we miss the multiplier and lose our yes is that we forfeit it to fear. We forfeit it to fear. And rather than talk about fear as a whole, because I believe it can be expressed in a lot of different ways, um, I want to talk about how a few different responses to fear can steal our yes to God. Because experiencing fear is natural. It's a human thing, right? Right? but it's our response to fear that determines our future right and and one of the responses that i think is pretty typical to fear is pride we can be prideful and it can go one of two ways the first is we can respond to pride with or we can respond to fear with a prideful self-preservation right we see the problem and rather than trust that god is going to see us through and that he's already equipped us we try and do for ourselves we build with our own hands, right? We make our own provision instead of trusting in what God has already given us. And um, one of the biggest examples of that in Scripture, in scripture is actually Abraham. And we, and we talked about Abraham early, and God did fulfill that promise in him for multiplication. But before he got to the promise, he made some mistakes. See, he, he saw that his wife was getting up there in years, and he had been promised a son And rather than wait for that promise to trust in the portion he'd been given, he saw his servant girl, Hagar, and was like, hey, girl. (laughs) Like, let's make a baby because you're not barren, you know? And so he created his son, Ishmael. And the cool thing about God is he was still faithful anyway. He's like, a promise is a promise. And he multiplied Ishmael into what we know now as the Muslim nation, right? And then when Abraham got his head on straight and decided to trust God again, he did give him a son, Isaac, and multiplied them into the nation of Israel. But that wasn't, wasn't without consequence, right? Because Israel and, and, and the Muslim nation are still at war to this day, right? One of, the favorite th- one of my favorite things I've ever heard a pastor say is the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. And I want to challenge us to be a people who live without regret, right? In a kingdom culture, we should strive to live without regret because we are waiting on the king as a part of the kingdom. The second way pride can go is we can respond to fear with prideful self-deprecation. The other way, like a false humility. See, the servant hid his talent in the ground, don't do that, right? Don't hide. It doesn't make you humble to pretend like you don't have value. That's, That's not humility. That's do you know it's actually a sin to speak negatively of yourself or see yourself as less than what God created you to be? Right? Either we're afraid of success and being held accountable to a standard, like, oh, if I succeed, then I'm going to I'm gonna have to stay the course. Or we're afraid of failure and of looking ridiculous, of looking like a fool. Either way, if God has given you the ability to sing, use it. If he's given you the ability to write books, use it. To speak, use it. To lead, use it. Don't let the fear of success or failure keep you from everything God has made you to be. That's good. Don't hide it. Don't bury it in the ground. And then the second response to fear is that fear can paralyze us. We can become paralyzed. And specifically, and I've had many conversations with people before regarding this, is fear of doing the right thing, right? Fear of missing God's will, and you're so afraid of that that you just do nothing. It paralyzes you. And honestly, this is where I fall in that spectrum of fear. When I don't know what to do, or when it seems bigger than me, and I don't, I, I, I just do nothing, <laughs> I, I, I tread water, I stay in the same place, and I had a friend tell me uh, a couple years ago, she was at a crossroads in her life of what to do, and she's like praying about it, and she was like, yeah, I was like asking God which, which option I should take, and he was like, whichever one, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, he was like, it's your choice, and guys, I almost fell out of my chair that I was sitting in. It's like, what, what do you mean you have a, you have a choice? Like, like, aren't you supposed to, like, fast and pray for, like, 21 days to figure out, like, the perfect will of God for your life? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Please fast. Please pray. But, but I just, I, the freedom that, we, that, that you could actually choose something was, was it was freeing in that moment. Because for me, life had always been about just nervously and anxiously trying to make the right choice instead of pursuing the right thing. Uh, one of my favorite communicators, a couple years later, it helped kind of complete this idea in my head, Erwin um, McManus at a Mosaic. He taught on Philippians 4.8. And I was driving to work one day and I like, heard this and I wanted to like pull over. <laughs> Philippians 4.8, which will be on the screen, says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what Irwin said is that we're reading this wrong. It's not whatever is true. It's whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Is it praiseworthy? Is it excellent, is it commendable? Think about these things, do these things. And his main point was stop believing that you're so powerful and important that you could actually mess up God's plan for your life. And I was like, (laughs) wow, blew my mind. See, we have to trust and believe that whatever part of the kingdom you invest in, however you invest in it, that God will multiply it. Let the fact that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than you be a freeing thing instead of an overwhelming thing. I pray this morning you would give God the burden of perfectionism right now. That you don't have to carry that weight because the Bible says man plans, but God orders his steps, right? But if we fail to plan, God can't, right? (laughs) We, We have to do something and then trust God will meet us there and take us to the right destination. Even if what we choose gets us in the right direction, he can always redirect our steps, And I feel this, and I felt this strongly. We were praying this morning, and I felt that there's just a prophetic word for somebody, right? I'm praying this, that just like Jesus told the man who was physically paralyzed to get up and walk, that Jesus is telling someone in this room this morning who is spiritually paralyzed to get up and walk, right? Pick up your mat and walk in the name of Jesus, Right? Walk in the fullness of the calling that God has for you. You are no longer paralyzed by fear. You are healed. I feel like that's for somebody. I pray you believe it this morning. I pray, I pray you receive it. Because our solution to fear is to trust God. Amen. It's cliche, but it's true. Trust God, and that'll be on the screen. Just like you can't have faith without doubt, and you can't have trust without fear, It's okay to be afraid, right? It's okay to be afraid. You shouldn't be ashamed of feeling afraid because it's an emotion. It's a feeling. You can't help but be afraid. As long as your response to fear is running to God instead of from him, fear is okay, right? As long as you choose to trust him in that gap, it's okay. And our practical solution to fear may surprise you, but it's actually be honest. Be honest. Get real with God about your fears and submit your fears to Jesus and allow him to exalt himself over them. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 encourages us with this. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds like fear. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, your fear is an argument trying to convince you that God is not who he says he is. And your fear will cause you to miss the multiplier and waste what God has given you. But when you submit your fears to Jesus, they can't help but bow, and Jesus can't help but show up. Right? I'm going to say that again. Because so I think it's good. <laughs> when you submit your fears to Jesus, they can't help but bow. And Jesus can't help but show up. You just have to trust Him. He loves you. Just do it. No matter how scary your fears are, because I think sometimes our fears are, like, our fears are scary, yes, but uh, admitting our fears are scary, right? Because we're supposed to be Christians. We have Christian faith and blessed voice. You know what blessed voice is? Like, I'm just well, brother, you know? Like, I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? You know, immediately, how are you? Don't talk about me. <laughs> right? We're supposed to be strong, put on a front, and that's never what God intended for us. Sadly, that's Christian culture, but it's not kingdom culture. It's not a kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is honesty and vulnerability and being willing to say, hey, brother, I'm struggling. Hey, sister, can you pray for me? Today just is not a great day, right? I'm afraid. This is what God's calling me to, and this is why I don't think it's gonna happen, and can you just pray for me? Can you just speak truth over me? That's also why accountability is important, because you just don't have to be honest about your fears to God, but you should be honest about your fears to others, to the body of Christ, because they can help you walk, right? You talk talk about the man who was paralyzed, he had friends help him get through that roof. He had friends lower him and take him to Jesus. We need friends to take us to Jesus because sometimes we're too afraid to do it ourselves. Maybe we don't have enough courage to come to Jesus but we might have courage to call a friend and they can take us, right? We just have to trust him. So to summarize, right, embrace hope. Embrace hope is how we fight hopelessness and a poverty mindset. Chase potential is how we fight laziness. And trust God is how we fight fear. Was that helpful this morning? Yes. Are you guys encouraged? I really hope so. I was praying. This has been weighing on me for like three weeks. Um, and so I just, man, I, I pray God multiplies it. It's out of my hands now. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to trust him. Um, but I, I do want to close with this, and our worship team can come up. The parable ends with the master throwing the wicked servant out in the darkness into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is often associated with hell in Scripture. And what, what I am saying is that there, or sorry, what I'm not saying is that if, if you don't use your giftings, you're going to go to hell. It's not at all. What God is saying. But what I am saying is that there is a very real God who desires for us to know Him. And there is a very real God who wants to spend a very real eternity with us. So much so that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us so that every wrong thing we've ever done could be forgiven and washed away in His blood. All we have to do is give Him our yes, right? By believing in Him and making Him Lord and Master. And he will do the thing that only he can do, which is declare us righteous in his sight. Declare us whole. Declare us free. And it's nothing that we've done or deserve, but it's his gift to us. His free gift. And why I think Jesus turns this parable towards eternity right at the end is because I believe that now more than ever, there are those who think they know who the master is. They think they know who God is. If they're wasting the greatest gift he ever gave us, which is Jesus and the salvation that he brings. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, maybe you grew up in a Christian culture that has caused you to miss the kingdom. Maybe being a follower of Jesus to you is about going to church and saying a get out of hell free prayer, right? Maybe following Jesus for you means not cursing and being nice to people and only listening to K-Love and judging people who don't. (laughs) Or maybe following Jesus for you is a point of pain because you've been hurt by the people who claim to know him. And all you've ever seen is religious enslavement instead of the freedom that Jesus died to give us. I'm here to tell you this morning, following and loving Jesus is none of those things, but there's nothing I can say up here that can effectively change your mind. All I can do right now is pray that if you're one of those people in one of those categories that I just mentioned, that you would begin to feel the loving embrace of the Father calling you to know Him. And I mean really know Him. He loves you so much. He loves you, son. He loves you, daughter. He longs for relationship and partnership with you. So right now, if you feel God calling you to give your life to Him, I just want you to respond by just slipping up your hand really quick. If that's you today, if you feel like Jesus is is calling you into relationship and partnership with him for the first time, just slip up your hand. And maybe you are a follower of Jesus this morning and, and you feel him nudging at your heart because you've been living your life half in, partially invested. And maybe you feel like you're drowning in a sea of hopelessness and a poverty mindset is keeping you from knowing where to begin. Maybe laziness has caused you to neglect the things that God has called you to. Maybe fear is keeping you from trusting God with what seems impossible or overwhelming. No matter what it is, I believe God has for you, sorry, I believe God has you here for a reason, and that there's no better time than now to become a candidate for multiplication. I believe there is breakthrough here for you this morning. If only you will say yes to it. So I wanna do something bold and intentional. On the count of three, if you are ready to say yes to God and embrace hope, chase potential, and trust God, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm gonna count to three, ready? One, two, three, if that's you, if you wanna embrace hope, chase potential, and trust God, open your eyes, look around. If you see someone next to you, I want you to know that you're not alone on this journey. And I'm standing too. I was just already up here, so. <laughs> but there are people in this room that can hold you accountable and you can run after God together, right? You don't wanna miss growth group this week because we're gonna be diving into this message and getting really specific with these points. we gonna be sharing with one another. And so, man, I, I hope you come. This is gonna be good. We're gonna learn what it really truly means to be invested In the kingdom. You guys can take a seat. We're going to close out our time with worship and communion. And you don't have to be a member of CCA to partake in communion. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. It's my encouragement. Just grab family. Grab friends. Remember the finished work of Jesus together. And we're going to sing one more song. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.